We're Kyler and Cody McCormick, two brothers on a journey to pave our own path while chasing our passion. While building our adventure filmmaking brand, The Outbound Life, we've become sponsored by some of the top brands in the film and travel industries, acquired Fortune 500 clients, and have spoken on stages all across the country sharing our story. We now invite you along on our journey as we sit down with inspiring entrepreneurs, creators, and diverse thought leaders to discuss how to live a life we consider outbound, a life where you believe your story matters and live beyond your limits. Come along and live the outbound life. Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on, beautiful people? Today, we are sitting down with a real hero of ours. This is somebody that I read his book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, probably four or five years ago. And this was a real catalyst at that time. This is all about overcoming fear, procrastination, figuring out who you are, and just like living courageously. It was something that really spoke to me when I read it, so much so actually that years ago, um, you know, I sent a message to this guy and of course I didn't know him and he was amazing and said, hey guys, let's hop on a call. And uh, you know, this, this is somebody we've looked up to ever since, but let me share a little bit about him. So Richie Norton is the award-winning best-selling author of the book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. It's available in over 10 languages around the world. In 2019, Richie was named one of the world's top 100 business coaches by Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. He's an international speaker, including TEDx and Google Startup Grind, and a serial entrepreneur. He's the founder of Global Consulting Circle, creating and scaling business models for venture-backed startups. Millions of entrepreneurially-minded people study Norton's work. Executives, celebrities alike, seek out Richie to create new value-based products and experiences for their audiences. Richie is happily married, has four boys, and lives in the North Shore of Oahu, Hawaii. Richie Norton, what is going on, good sir? What's up, guys? I'm super excited to be here, man. This is going to be so much fun. You bet, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> this will be great. It's fun having you on the podcast because you're based in Hawaii, which I think is like six hours behind us. So even if we're having like a really lazy day, we still get to look like morning birds to you, right? We get you <laughs> on the podcast first thing in the morning as you're rolling out of bed. It's true. I, I just, no, I rolled out of bed and jumped on your podcast. So here we are. <laughs> That's that's how we like to hear it. See, Kyler and I, I was like, you know, Kyler, I need to get a get an espresso going so that I got the energy. I got my morning, you know, mindset still going. Oh man, so but, good. So, Richie, you grew up in San Diego, and now you're living in Hawaii. What made you make that big transition? Because now you're, you know, you're living in the continental U.S. and now you're living on an island in the middle of a big ocean. That's got to be a lot different. Well, they both have surfing, so that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, born and raised in San Diego. Actually, between Hawaii and San Diego, I lived in Brazil for a couple of years. Oh. I was a missionary, and then I came to, to school out here, and then I just stayed. You know, so all my <laughs> kids are born here. Fought four boys, you know, and uh, my wife and I was we married. She was out here before we met, but we didn't okay. meet here. We actually okay. met doing something else in Washington state, by the way. Then we got married and came back out to Hawaii. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and you're yeah. on Oahu. So there's, you're, you're pretty close to Kualoa Ranch, right? Yeah, it's around the corner. Um, we're, I'm on the North shore. Kualoa Ranch might be, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes from, from where I'm at. I'm at, um, on my side of the island, it's it's really chill. It's called they call it the the country, and uh, you know in the winter there's lots of big waves and it's just it's just a really good vibe. People are 
just kind of doing their own thing. It's really relaxed and, you know, we love it. Yeah. Well, Kyler and I, we took a family vacation out to Hawaii a couple of years back. I think it was 2016. It was our first time we'd been to any of the islands and we got to Oahu and got to explore Kulo Ranch. We did a little filming out there and that's where, for those of you who don't know, that's where like Jurassic Park and yeah. a lot of the big movies with these lost. dramatic landscapes lost yeah. are filmed. Yeah. And it's got to be pretty cool just living right by that and having such a nature landscape right there with the ocean glaring at you every morning you wake up. It's amazing. I <laughs> don't, don't mind it at all. <laughs> Rich, I know I know one of your things. I feel like I see you post this on Facebook at least once a week, and it's it's like it must be one of your favorite quotes. You say, like, each sunset is an opportunity to reset. Yeah, so I live at Sunset Beach, and it's like the perfect place for a sunset. And I just I love sunsets, and I so I say every sunset is an opportunity to reset. And I sent it, so I, I said it sometime years ago, hmm. but then it become like my most memed quote. Like you, hmm. it's just, just everywhere and people started liking it. I was like, oh, I guess I'll just say it more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, it's true. I, I try to watch the sunset every night um, and try to try, literally try to reset. Like, okay, what was good? What could be better? Let's end, you know, some things and, and begin anew uh, the next day. I say something like, uh, the sunrise begins with fresh eyes or something stupid like that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I usually miss the sunrise. I'm yeah, I, I love that perspective because <laughs> I feel like for me, I've always looked at like a new day. It's always been such a big reset where I think a lot of people get in just such a standard you know, a grind throughout a week. And it's like, if something bad happened, like you kind of carry that through the whole week. And it's so yeah. good to have that mindset to like reset. Okay. You yeah. can take a fresh perspective. If you were stressed, how can we let that go and take a new path? You know, all, all of that. It's just, it's really cool. And especially for those of us that really look at life, trying to find opportunity. And I mean, I feel like I can't even wake up and not have like five ideas pop into my head of new opportunities or mm. how I'm going to go about my day and I get excited about it. And that's like really what gets me out of bed. So that framework, that mindset has really helped me for sure. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I love hearing people's reset triggers, right? For you, it's, it's, it's sunrise or sunset. Different people have different things they start their day with. You know, for me, it's like I end each shower with, with a few minutes of cold shower that I have a series of mantras that I say. And my kind of like sunset or sunrise is reset. Is it, you know, my mantras start with just this, this statement I say is, you know, today I received the gift of life. It's like, here it is. It might be raining out. It might feel like a crappy day, whatever's going on, but it's a gift. Here we go. Let's wake up and, you know, get into this thing. Yeah. I love that. One time recently, actually, in the last month or so, my wife asked me, she said, what's your baseline? And she was looking for like a word or a term or even a mantra. Huh. And I thought about it for a while and I said, I said, sunset, the sunset's my baseline. Because hmm. hmm. here, here, here's one thing. I like to build my businesses or anything I do in terms of projects, because a project can begin and end. Um, it can fail or succeed if it works, it moves mm -hmm. forward. If not, it doesn't. And a lot mm -hmm. of people don't start anything because they're so scared of it ending. But when you look at a project that's successful, people gather for the sunset. They, it's very hard to get people to gather for a sunrise because it's too early, literally. Yeah. But at the beginning of an idea or a startup, it's so stupid or so weird or so new that it's very hard to create momentum it's hard mm. to build on your mission early but at the end when it's successful or not everyone comes together and you look on the beach or wherever you live people will come and gather for the sunset so i like to think of the sunset as a place to gather and um, end things 
and then also create new things. Amazing. Richie, one of the things that's cool about you. So again, your book is called The Power of Starting Something Stupid, right? You seem like the starting guy. You're always trying to help people take these big, abstract, scary dreams, ideas and break them down. And I, I feel like, you know, one of the things that's been fun because, you know, preparing to have you on the podcast, I've been rereading your book. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you talk about is how there's this like dream phase. You, you get stuck in this thing and, and it, there's no metrics around it. It's like one day I'll write a book, right? Mm -hmm. But you're talking about doing exactly that. You're like, okay, how could you break this down into something that's smaller, maybe a more manageable project, a dream versus a project. Can you talk about like what that sort of shift looks like, what a project is versus what a dream is? Sure. If I say that I'm going to write a book, yeah. I'll always have, I'm going to write a book. If I say... Hmm. I'm going to write a book or if I say, and I add to it, I have a book project. Or if I say further, I'm an author. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. think about that for a second. With that framework, think about it this way. If I say I'm going to write a book, I will always have writing a book. But the moment I decide to write a book, it is written. Mm. So the difference between writing a a book in the future and writing it now is a project. I have a book project. I'm starting it now. I'm beginning. I am an author. So you act from that person or that project that you want to become or create and you do it right now and you save yourself years of time and worry. Hmm. Interesting. So how do you take like that's that's that step of actually getting it into motion, but how if, if I have all these different ideas going through my head, right, someone that I'm naturally an idea person, some aren't, but if you do have a lot of ideas and we're being told, okay, start, you, get, you just got to start. Well, how do we decipher like what is something of value or something, you know, that you should put your time into? Because I also don't want to fall into being one of those people that continually start different things. I don't have a problem starting, but I have a problem finishing them. Mm. It's, it's a really good question, and this is going to sound bizarre, but a lot of people think of time as a limited resource, as it is, and so they have to pick and choose what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. I actually think of time as a renewable resource. I, I create projects that don't take time. I create projects that create time. So, for example, mm -hmm. I, people are like, you must be so busy. I, go, I seem to, I have all the time in the world. Like, you run all these businesses. Yeah, but I set them up in a way with systems and with people mm -hmm in a way that I'm not the one necessarily always operating them. I'm only doing the things I like and want to do and where I don't like it or want to do it. I ask myself a better question. How can I do this without sacrificing everything else? The reason is because most, as far as entrepreneurs probably listening to this show, entrepreneurs start a business because they think it'll help them enhance their lifestyle mm -hmm. only to find out that when they started their business, they've lost their lifestyle to the business. Absolutely. To me, that's all the money in the world, but a failed business plan. <laughs> so how then do you have the cake and eat it too? Because I know, you know, you talk extensively about this idea of, listen, that, that's what we all talk about, especially in this Western culture of like, you know, we have these buzzwords, productivity, time management, go, 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 advancement, progress, whatever. Um, we're, it's like we're reaching for this ever elusive future that never really comes, you know, and um but it seems like you're talking about trying to take something that's out of reach that even let, let's say you accomplish the dream, you get to the beach and you retire there. Well, boom, now you don't have the time. 
you don't have your youth that you are going to apply to whatever the things you you gather that you wanted to enjoy. How do you merge those two worlds? How do you bring what's what's out of reach to right here right now, even if your reality doesn't seem like, you know, you're living your dream yet? That's a good, that's a good question. And I, and I truly believe and I recently wrote this on a Medium article just last week that yet is leadership like that. That's where leadership lives. That's where. <laughs> entrepreneurialism lives it's in yet it's in the best is yet to come right Mm -hmm. so the idea of you know have your eight your cake and eat it too i don't know i don't know if i necessarily believe in in that phrase or what that means or whatnot sure but but i'll but i'll but i'll i'll tell you this like most okay i read a meme today that said something like somebody sleeps in while the other one gets up early and chases their dreams something like that Yeah. yeah The night before I read something, it said, the successful people are up all night working while everyone else is sleeping. Sure. And I say, I don't think it really matters when you sleep or when you work. I think that most people spend most of their time not being productive, thinking they're being Mm. productive. Like what? You get two hours out of the day that's actually productive. Right. But the the other six, seven, eight hours of your workday – it's just a head game. Yeah. Pushing paper, procrastinating, trying to be this faux perfectionist. So if you can just hone in on actually what moves the needle, you literally, and I don't mean figuratively. I mean, you literally have all the time in the world because it took you two hours to get done. What takes other people eight. Yeah. Now what do you, what do you do with your time then? And then what, what do you do with your time? Then is the question. Cause if you're in a nine to five, you don't do that because your boss gives you more work hmm. and you don't get paid anymore. That's why people, st- Parkinson's law, you know, work expands the amount of time you give. That's why people stretch out their work. But for an entrepreneur, if I can get it done or even somebody getting paid by the hour, they might stretch yeah. it out and they compromise. Well, I could have got it done in five minutes, but it's worth $10,000. So why don't I make it last six weeks so I can get paid my yeah. time back? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever the numbers are. Yeah. And so I, I say, that's a bunch of crap. Like what a terrible way to live and a terrible way to negotiate your time. And then what happens though, when you're super productive and you get lots of done in a very, because you're basically just doing the 80, 20 rule, like you're doing the 20% exactly. that works. Sure. Is that a Pareto's law? The Pareto principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. You do that. And all of a sudden you have eight more or less. It's just, we're making numbers here. Yeah. You have 80% more time. A lot of people don't know what to do with that time. Because they feel, even though they're super productive, they feel yeah. like they're unproductive. Yeah. So instead of actually starting more businesses or more projects, like you were talking about, which one do I start? Won't I get distracted? I'm not necessarily pushing for doing them all at the same time, but I'm just saying instead of doing that, and also instead of doubling down on what's working and becoming super productive times so many you know <laughs> hours. Yeah. They actually start dabbling and doing just the normal stuff that they actually don't need to be doing, wasting time. And I don't mean the wasting time where you enjoy it laying on the beach or running around surfing like I might do. I mean, because that's not a waste of time. I mean, they literally waste it. Yeah. And they worry about it. And so if, if your goal, again, lifestyle business specific, if your goal is to have a better lifestyle, you can live the lifestyle today, not five years from now. I'll coach someone who has a 13-year-old boy or girl. And they'll say, I'm going to start this business. And I go, how long will it take to, to break even? And they'll say five mm-hmm. years. And it's going to take me all this time. And I go, so your kid will be 18 years old when you're done? 
and they're out of yeah. the house and it was all for naught because your goal is to have more time with your children. Right. It's like, wake up. <laughs> wake up. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm curious. So one of the things that I picked up through you kind of laying that out is this whole idea of really spending your time on the things that do end up moving the needle. And I think Kyler and myself in our line of work, we take everything by project. Like we have, we have, I guess, you know, we have a handful of um, ongoing like retainer clients, things that are uh, residual income. And then we have a lot of our projects that are by project basis, which I really like that, that way of having a start and a finish. But one of the things that I find is even if we knock out like a, an awesome project or we have a dream project come up and knock that out, what I always find is when I'm in the midst of the project and even from like a revenue perspective, let's just say this is going to take care of most of my year or, or beyond that. You know, sometimes we have projects um, that end up just really, <laughs> really pushing us forward to from where we uh, have wanted to plan our year. And it gets us so much further than that. During the project, I feel if, if, if I just finish this, I'm going to. I don't even care what happens next. You know, like I can, we can take a little break. You can take a time, go, go for a walk or do something that you really enjoy. But what I find is when I actually get through the project, I have this addiction of if I take a, if I take a day off and like go and like you were saying, sit on the beach or something, even though those things might fill me, I see it as wasting time. But I think it's because it's like, I have this addiction of like, well, what's next? And if you have a day or two days like that where you like pour into yourself and, you know, rejuvenate yourself, you end up going down this this mind spiral of, you know, feeling like you're just burning time. And I certainly fall into that. How do you work through that? Um, I don't. I would say that's totally okay. Because if you if that's what you want to do, then you're doing it. It's really about like, for example, I mentioned going on the beach and sitting there. I don't sit on the beach. I think it's very unproductive. And I hate sitting <laughs> on the beach. I like I like walking down the beach. and I like going surfing straight through yeah, to cool. the water. Cool. Other, you know what I mean? Like, so just 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 like as like, just like an example, what I mean is, for other people, they really would enjoy laying on the beach for hours and, and think it's productive or, or enjoyable, right? Um, where I like paddling and catching waves and doing my thing, whatever that looks like. What I'm trying to say is just because you're super productive and you have an abundance of time, what it means is you now have a choice of how you use your time. Hmm. So you're not fooling yourself into thinking I'm wasting my time. So, it, it, you know, to say, how do I tell myself to stop feeling bad for taking a break yeah. is a very different question than um, I love building more businesses and it's not taking away from my highest priorities. Hmm. And when I say highest priorities, I don't, I don't know about your guys' family situations, but for people with families, they generally say their spouse and their children are their highest priorities. Yeah. And again, they start work. Think about the nine to five. They go to work to give their family a better life, but that same work takes their life away from their family. Right. Like, like completely all day, all hours, 24 seven on the cell phone. So what I'm saying is when you do create systems of freedom, it's now acknowledging the choice that you have of what you can do with that freedom. If someone with an abundance of time chooses to still spend it away from their family, Instead of they can either feel bad for doing that, yeah, or 
they can be intelligent and look at it logically and say, that was my choice. I can't blame anybody else but me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool. I think with you, um, through, I mean, through your book, through the speaking, you do consulting, all these different things, you're always teaching people how to be very intentional about how they spend their time. And speaking of time, one of the things that's really cool about your book is it seems to be filled with all these really interesting acronyms of kind of like your philosophy of life. And one of those is time, right? I believe that's today is my everything. Is that, is that right? Is that one yeah, of Yeah, you got that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, right. good. We're, we're going off of memory, not notes on that. So I'm glad that's, yep. that's hitting. But I, I think one of the things that's interesting about you too, is that somebody who just meets you, you know, they they might be fooled by your big smile and playful spirit. And you just, you have this sense of optimism about you. You just do. And again, somebody just meeting you would have no idea about the tragedies and really difficult, really difficult seasons of your life that you've had to endure. I mean, honestly, on an ongoing basis, um, would, would you mind sharing maybe a little bit about some of these seasons of your life and ultimately how that kind of fueled all these amazing things that, that you've been doing um, kind of out of that. Totally. And so like my book, the, you know, the power of starting something stupid starts with the idea of what I call Gavin's law, where one day my brother-in-law just passed away at the age of 21 mm. and in his sleep, totally unexpected. He lived on and off with us for like five years. Wow. And um, that just, it changed the way we thought about everything. Cause you know, you think of someone that age and you think, oh, well, they're going to live their whole life and they're going to do all these things. And when you think about the way it works in the United States of America, we start thinking, well, you're going to work your whole life up until 65 and then you're finally going to realize your dreams of doing whatever that looks like. And then I realized that wasn't true for him and that's not true for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people will wait for more time, more education, more experience and more money and never have the time, education, experience or money, you know, once they get to retirement yeah. to, to do what they want to do. That's what people in retirement told me. I did over 300 interviews and that was kind of wow. what came out of it. And then I realized, but not only that, we don't even count in the fact that our life might change. We might get divorced. Our spouse might die. We might not have our health. Hmm. my brother-in-law might pass away. Yeah. And then a few years later, uh, my fourth son, we named him Gavin after my brother-in-law, Gavin, hmm. he, he caught this little cough and the doctor said not to worry about it. And the doctor said, you know, it's, it's fine. It's nothing. It's a normal thing for a baby. And it continued and we kept going back and they kept turning us away and they said, might be RSV. Don't worry about it. He'll be fine. Turned out he had caught something called pertussis, also known as whooping cough. And it was just too much on his little body. And I remember we were in the hospital one night and uh, they kind of let us know this was it. And they took out all those wires. They took out all those tubes and I held him for a moment and my wife held him and we just sang lullabies. And I put my little, my hand on his little heart and just felt, you know, those last beats until I slipped away. Wow. And as you can imagine, as like a parent, that's like your worst nightmare. And uh, it made me realize the gift that time is. And when you realize that even the shortness, you can say life is long, you can say life is short, whatever. I'll tell you this. All I know is that right now is what I have right now. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to tell people is, well, if you have something that is like super important to you, there are ways instead of building up to it for years hmm. to make it happen now or sooner than later. Hmm. You know, somebody asked me, like a mentor of mine, what did you learn from your brother-in-law passing away from your son hmm. passing away? And I, and I, and I didn't know what to say. And I thought about it over time and I came up with what I call Gavin's law, which mm -hmm. is live to start 
start to live. Mm-hmm. Because when you live those ideas that are pressing on your mind, you really will start living. So people are walking around like the living dead. They don't know what to do with their life. And it's like, but you have all these ideas in your head. Why aren't you doing something? The living Someone dead. That's, that's good. Idea, that, that's right? really good. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. When you act on an idea, you start, you become animated. You become enthused. Life mm-hmm. is filled through your, your, your body and it actually kind of just changes everything. And then you go, what if you fail? What if it hurts? And you go, yeah, what if it does? And I'll tell you this. It's a lot better, personally, a lot better to fail and fall now than it is 40 freaking years from now when you're in retirement yeah. and you want to try this stupid thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and by the way, the people who are successful usually later, it's because they tried lots of things and failed and learned. Yeah. And it's almost like living multiple lives. Hmm. Hmm. You just keep learning and doing and failing and hopefully just su- succeeding and learning what works and meeting new people. People come out of the woodwork when you have a project. So yeah. live to start, start to live. <laughs> I can't remember who said it, but it's the quote of fail fast, fail early. And mm. it's just that whole idea of like, you better jump into it. And it's, it's much better to fail early on than exactly like you said, 40 years totally. down the road, which and, I think you know, it, or yeah, go ahead. No, I just say f- phrases like that are useful because it helps us overcome our fear yeah. of failing. But in reality, you don't have to fail every time. Right. <laughs> That's just really a, a, a mental hurdle to get you going. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a, that's a good thing to point out because, yeah, we don't <laughs> – that's, that's focusing on the negative side of, yeah. you know, that everything has to be a failure. Because, no, I mean, certainly I, – I think in the entrepreneurial world, we always hear about, you know, the amount of businesses that end up succeeding are like this small number, like a few percent, something like that, if that – which is just kind of like it, it paints the reality, which I think is important to hear and understand. But what shouldn't be overlooked is the success stories that do come through because that's what inspires us all. And we all have yeah. the ability to get to that. And it's yeah. not, and I think like comparison is a really difficult thing because you can compare yourselves to a lot of these business owners that end up being successful. And you're like, well, I simply don't have what they had to start. Therefore, I'm going to end up in that like 95% of people that totally fail. You know, and those statistics are interesting and and no matter how true they are, they're they're lacking tons of context. I'm not sure who said it, but it's like, Oh, nine out of 10 businesses fail. I guess I better start 10 businesses. (laughs) There you go. Easy success. And and if, and if you're a discerning person or, or you are, you're trying to learn, you go find out what the 10th business did and you learn from that. You model that, yeah. right? Or, or you hire a mentor or a coach and you, and you learn. At the end of the day, people are always like, what do I do? Where do I start? And I have an acronym mm-hmm. for start, which is S-T-A-R-T, serve, think, ask, receive, and trust. You serve mm-hmm. people, thank them for the opportunity to serve them. You earn the right to ask. You, receive, you are gratefully receiving from them whatever that turns into, and then you trust, and you trust this whole process. But at the end of the day, people are like, well, how do I don't know if it's going to work or not? And I say, just sell one. So hmm. sell one, hmm. sell one. And they go, well, it's going to cost all this time money to build it. Get a letter of intent from somebody. Mm-hmm. Put it on Kickstarter. Sell one, pre-sell. It changes the whole game. So my company, yeah. so after I wrote The Power of Starting Something Stupid, I realized 
I didn't, I didn't know people were going to be reaching out to me much. They did. Yeah. And so I became the stupid guy. So you, you look up <laughs> stupid Richie and I'm everywhere. And I knew I couldn't be the subject matter expert on their stupid idea. Cause it's new, you know, and it's whatever. So I focused on yes, the lifestyle, what's called in psychology, it's called final cause the success after the success. Okay. So you make all this money, then what? Hmm. And people quickly, I learned, they would say, they give me some weird thing that they wanted to do and we can make that work and have it make money but then they still wouldn't be satisfied because they didn't give them the freedom of time and location like they wanted or something. Right. Whatever else they yeah. want. right. So if someone immediately says, I want freedom of time and location, then why don't we start there? Why don't we build a business model that gives you that now? Because what happens is when you cement these systems and circumstances and all of a sudden you have the money, those systems and circumstances don't go, they don't, circumstances don't go away. Yeah. Yeah. They're cemented. You're actually more locked in the golden handcuff kind of thing. Right. Mm. So if you're, if you want to live in a castle, why start with the moat and never live in the castle, just mm. move into the castle and build economic and strategic moats around it that support it. My wife mm. and I traveled six months, you know, in our car, you know, just renting cars, whatever with our, with our children after um, actually we had some foster kids in our home after they had left mm. after two years, it was a very hard thing for us. Wow. Beautiful three three kids we ended up traveling to new york and driving for six months to san diego mexico canada to hawaii and all our business people are like oh you must have money you must do this all you know savings like no it wasn't that we made all our money on the road from our cell phone hmm. our business model revolved around location independence but first a word about our sponsor this podcast is sponsored by road microphones the Australian Pro Audio Powerhouse, making incredible gear for podcasters, vloggers, filmmakers, musicians, and audio engineers. Interesting. Did yeah. you develop your company product through that? Oh, that yeah. Good, good question. So I got into coaching, consulting, online courses, as you would as an uh, entrepreneur type author, maybe, if that's what you want to do. Sure. And then I realized I have a background in, I'm a social entrepreneur. So I, my first business was actually a cashmere company in Mongolia, of huh. all places, mm. huh. to help, to help people work do. their way out of poverty. Yeah. Hmm. There was no, there was even, not even a McDonald's there when I went, by the way. Uh, this is back in 2004. And um, I, uh, I realized people wanted to make stuff in addition to digital stuff, which I was helping people with. And I was like, oh, it's so much work, but it's such, such a need. So now I have this company, Product. We make over 100 different products or more, uh, mostly completely custom. Wow. Um, and we do, we, we help invent it if, if needed, prototype, um, manufacture, package, ship, warehouse fulfill so all an entrepreneur has today has to do today um using a physical product if they wanted us to is if just do the one thing sell it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we'll do the rest and we save people hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars in uh actual overhead by doing that for them it's pretty cool interesting I'll, i'll never forget listening to the podcast entrepreneur on fire with jld years back this is one of my favorite business podcasts and you were on the show and i remember jld talking through um your company product and how you guys partnered together to produce what he was selling as the freedom journal and Mm -hmm. for those who don't know jld running entrepreneur on fire is this uh, very large very successful um, podcast in the business realm and it was something that it was super intriguing for me to listen to when i was starting 
my business in the early days, but just hearing how you went about the company. Cause I think that was probably some of the earlier stages of product, right? Totally. And that, so he had me on his podcast earlier than yeah. that, even for my book. And at the, he said, what's your next thing or whatever he asked on his mm. podcast at the end. And I said, oh, we're going to, I'm going to help entrepreneurs source stuff from China and around the world. And he's like, what? We need to talk. And yeah. that's where he then told me about his journal idea. And so, yeah, I mean, that thing raised $463,000 in 33 days on Kickstarter. We did the mastery journal. We did the, we did uh, his, what's it called? Podcast journal. Uh-huh. Uh, we, I have this in front of me. I know people who are listening can't see it, but I'm, you know, we made Pat Flynn this uh, thing that we call the switch pod. Oh, sweet. Amazing. So for vloggers and I, I make stuff for Russell Brunson, make stuff for his network. We make stuff for oh. all kinds of people. And to me, it's like, how do you do all these? I mean, we make tiny homes. Like you're like, how do you make all this stuff? And ah. I go, it's not about what we're making. We just make things. We're, we're yeah. masters of making. Like when, mm. And our goal is to tie it to your personal freedom. And so we've built a unique system that helps people do that. This is interesting because, I mean, I feel like none of the things you would explain that you're making, oh, we happen to make tiny homes. Like none of it would surprise me because you live such a creative life. Mm. I remember going into 2020. This was in a world where Kobe Bryant was still alive. And, you know, of course, we had New Year's resolutions and we had no idea what was in store for us. But I remember through kind of some deep reflections, just thinking this thought that um, in order to live a creative life, which, by the way, is a goal of mine, that's like one of the highest goals. That's cool. You have to be creating. Yes. If you want to live a creative life, you have to be creating. And I, I like think that. What I what we started to see is there would be these barriers in front of creativity. We look at creativity. What is this? Oh, man, this scary, uh, you know, it's 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 this scarce resource as opposed to, oh, no, it's abundant. It's something that oh, in order to do this, all the stars would have to align. We would need five other people on board or you could just start a podcast today. You know, and I think one of the things and, you know, Richie, we were talking to you a little bit about this before we started recording, you know, our podcast. This has been a dream of ours for years. And, you know, we've had this interesting journey where there are a few potential different manifestations. This almost manifested as a show actually on Southwest Airlines and all their airplanes. Then we ended up taking this passion project where we're again, we're, we're learning from all these really interesting characters. And, uh, you know, we, we sold it to another company and then their stocks crash. And, you know, that doesn't happen. And we realize we had this dream or let's say this goal of creativity and associated with this were all these barriers that in order for it to happen, X, Y, and Z, all, all the stars had to align by making it the simplest thing possible. You know, here we are, we get to talk to really interesting people every week. And it's surprising how many people say yes. And not only that, I would say the interesting thing is um, the ROI of living in like constant ongoing creativity. I, I would say that's a huge one that people don't often estimate how much that's going to impact their life in a positive way. You know, it's like mm. you talk about building a business so that, yeah, again, one day I can retire on that beach. One day I'll have a great house for my family. But when you're living in creativity, um, you're a happier you. You're more playful. Uh, COVID happens and you might find all these opportunities because, again, what do you do? You go to play every day. Tying all that back to some of the other things that you really um, teach about, you you talk a lot about regret. Mm. And one of the stories, and actually specifically the reason I reached out to you probably four or five years ago, um, this this I think was the chapter I had just read then in your in your book, and you broke down a story that I had never heard before. And and in this, you talk about what's called the Bezos test. Yeah. 
Can you tell us what the Bezos test is? Because I think the story is going to blow away the minds of our audience. Well, I think it's amazing too now that he's like, what, the richest person in the world, or at least on and off he is, depending on the stock price of the day. Yeah, because you, you, you know? put him in your book, what, six years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a long time ago, and and uh, it wasn't that way yet. But um, so Jeff Bezos, he had an idea, and he saw the internet growing uh, exponentially. And he, what most people don't realize is that he had a great job on Wall Street. Hmm. And he took his boss, I guess, from what I read, on a three-hour walk around Central Park or something like that. And he told his boss, you know, hey, I have this new idea. And his, and his boss said, oh, that's cool. That's a good idea for somebody that doesn't already have a job. (laughs) (laughs) And he took that to heart and he, but he asked himself a question and the question goes something like this. Will I regret it when I'm 80? (laughs) And he decided he would regret, you know, not starting this thing that eventually became Amazon and selling books and then everything online he would regret not having tried that. He says, like, picture yourself, you know what I mean? Like 80 years old, sitting there on a rocking chair overlooking the farm. I don't know. <laughs> and you're like, oh, what would I regret? Hmm. And so this even comes full circle to, to the question earlier about which, which project do I do if I have so many? Hmm. And it's the one you would regret most, even if it hmm. might fail. That's the key. Even if it might fail. And it depends on your goals. Like if you need money tomorrow, well, you better do something that's going to sell. But if it's just a a passion project that might make money in the future or no money at all, those ones are the best, but also the worst because they're not urgent. Mm. So our dreams go to die in in Mm non-urgency, right? That's why identifying what you would regret makes it urgent. So, you know, that's when Jeff Bezos packed up his bags with his, uh, then wife, and I think they got a loan from family or whatever, and they, they went to Washington and started Amazon.com from their house, their garage. Crazy. And now it's the most valuable company or or close to it or whatever it is now as it goes up and down and, and the most rich or whatever, and he's covering every magazine. And yeah. it's like, I don't, I don't think, honestly, I don't think that was his goal at the time, but maybe it was. Yeah, but he right. started with an idea. He sacrificed his job and he moved. He changed his environment to change his life. Well, and I don't think anyone knows when you come up with an idea what the end goal really can be. It's like you have sure. an end goal How at that time. Where, yeah. Yeah, where you dream something up and you're like, this is the possibility. But especially, I mean, you know, I've read even more recent interviews with with Jeff and with uh, individuals such as David Rubenstein has an amazing show. Um, he he hosts the Economic Club of Washington D.C. and is this brilliant interviewer. And it was probably a year or two ago that he had Jeff Bezos on, and they're talking about this story again. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, you know, is is sharing how his his dream and his big idea was to sell books online. But as he continued to pull and ask questions to his audience, the audience or his customers, the customers kept saying, well, what if you sold, you know, these other products or this product or that product? And it wasn't just one more category. It was every kind of category. Yeah. And that's when, yeah, it it was like he had this idea, 
but he had to evolve it and adapt with what people wanted. Uh, they call that processional effects, uh, you know, where one thing kind of leads to another. And what, where people get stuck, this is where people get stuck. People like me and you and people listening to this, we get stuck on, on Amazon today. Hmm. To make Amazon today, to have AWS, you know, or, or to have all these things that they have that make all this money. How would I ever get there? You know what? You freaking won't. Like, you're not going to get there. It, that would be impossible to do today. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't start something and create something that big later. I'm just saying instantly, you're not going to have that. The reason I say this is important is because people, as soon as they get an idea, they immediately think big, which is great. Yeah. They think of all the venture capital or angel capital or all the debt or all the money they have to raise or all the infrastructure they have to have. And they end up starting a business with one to $2 million in debt with no customers. Yeah. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> you know? And it's like, unless that's the actual business model to build a business that sells because you have no customers and no revenue, but someone else sees it as an asset, they're going to buy it. Unless that's your actual plan and you know what you're doing, that is a plan that fails like the nine out of 10. Yeah. So it's very important. Like I said, let me make this super real. Someone says, Richie, I've been trying to do this thing for a year. I haven't made any money. Yeah. And I just, and I say something tongue in cheek, but kind of rude, but kind of nice. And I say, when's the last time you asked somebody for their credit card? Hmm. Face falls. Hmm. Well, I haven't asked anybody for their credit card. So tell me about, again, how you didn't make any money this year. Because <laughs> yeah. You didn't ask anybody to buy something from you. So <laughs> did you expect to make any money? And so in essence, they fooled themselves. They haven't worked a day in their lives. They worked hmm. in preparation to work if work means earning money. Oh, interesting. But they didn't work a single day that whole year. If making money means work is working, you better know whatever happens right before you get paid and do that every single day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Winston Churchill has a quote that kind of touches on that. And it's this whole even procrastination side, because it's like whether you're starting or you're preparing to start and stuck in that phase, which I think a lot of people do in that, like, I want it to be perfect. I want my mm -hmm. foundation to be laid before I jump into this wholeheartedly. And his quote says, perfection is the enemy of progress. And I... I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that play out in my own life, seen that play out in friends' lives when we're discussing business opportunities. And then I, f I feel like the things, and I'll refer back to this podcast, we wanted it to be perfect. We're filmmakers. We wanted to come out with, you know, uh, a video series. And hey, guys, this is, that's, that's going to happen. I'll tell you, that's going to happen. But we're starting it as a podcast. So I want everyone to get excited for the day. We're going to flip a switch and we're going to take these individuals that we have on this podcast and we're going to take them on crazy experiences and adventures, but that we don't need that now. That's perfection. That's perfection in my filmmaking, you know, creative world. But right now we get to share these stories in just an auditory basis, which is been so invigorating for Kyler and I to be able to have these conversations. And we're not just having these conversations in the film space, which a lot of people know us for. These are in diverse, um, you know, industries that we get really excited about. It's like learning from people doing all different things. Um, but this, this, this what, one thing I want to rewind a little bit. You were talking earlier, once we start, 
and how you're living in this in this area where you still have all this free time. You get to delegate your time to the things that you have interest to. How, as an entrepreneur, do you delegate the parts of your business to someone else so that it doesn't all fall on you? Because that's even something that I'm curious about in my own life. Like, how do you take the roles that you could fulfill all yourself and delegate that to someone? What's the first step in that? I take a piece of paper and I fold it in half. On the left-hand side, I write down all the things that have to get done in a day, professionally and personally, including goals. Then I circle the ones that I actually want and like to do and put them on the right-hand side. Everything else that's left over are the things that I have to eliminate, delegate, or outsource. And that's what I do. I cross them out. And every time I cross it out, this is what I teach my, my clients to do too. Every time I cross it out, I have more time. Every time I delegate it, meaning I'm not paying someone, it's just a role that someone else should be doing anyways because they like it mm. and, and they're good at it. And then it's delegated, save myself all this time. Outsourced, yes, literally pay someone to do it. And when I outsource things, whether it's uh, to maybe people I know or someone on Upwork, which I use a lot, by the oh. way, um, I don't look, most people search people on Upwork for someone that can do it, but they feel like they still have to teach and train. I think that's silly. Mm. I look for I look for absolute experts. Mm. Who is the who is the best at this that can do this? In fact, they're the ones telling me how to do it. Because I don't want to do this crap. Yeah. And so, okay. like for example, I have a company that edits videos for YouTube. We we edit over a hundred or more uh, vlogs every single month for YouTubers oh. that have a million follow, uh, subscribers or more. And the reason I did that is because a lot of my friends who are YouTubers who are clients didn't have any time for their families because they hated their lives editing. Yeah. So I started a business where people um, in other parts of the world and other time zones are now editing it overnight or as fast as, as, as needed. And I've been running that for three or four years. I have no idea how to edit a video. I have zero. I have zero idea. And that's the, pro- that's the thing is it doesn't matter because I'm the architect. I'm the entrepreneur. My job is to get a goal finished, done, pronto. Hmm. Everything else is just figure outable. Amazing. Uh, that that's there, there's so much to digest right there. That was that was gold. Um, and Richie, as we start to kind of wind down here, what we thought would be fun to do is just a bit of a rapid fire round. So if it's cool, we'll just start throwing some fast ones and just boom. The first thing that comes to mind, let, let, let's go with that. Um, so okay, let's say you had to start over tomorrow. You hadn't written a book. You have no experience, resume, connections, blah blah blah. What would be the first thing you do? You're starting just, from scratch. Just ask people what they want and give it to them. <laughs> that's good. So that's, that's how I do everything. <laughs> There's no reason to invent, reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Sell them what they want. Hmm. All right. Second question. How would you define creativity? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, stupid. Creativity begins at stupid. If it wasn't um, stupid, it would have been done already. Smart. It's already been done. And do you think everyone is creative? Of course. I think we were born to create, 100%. Hmm. In fact, just side note, I think the last 200 years of how work has looked was a product of the Industrial Revolution. I, I don't think hmm. we used to work like this at all. Hmm. Our next question. <laughs> yeah. What is common bad advice most people follow? Wait. <laughs> I feel like the shorter, the better. Yeah, can we get, okay, that's a one syllable word. That's going to be hard to beat. Um, biggest bucket list item? Uh, 
I don't know. Oh, this is a bad one. Um, first one that comes to mind is my next book to become a New York Times bestselling book. Mm. And but I don't know if that's a bucket list item. That's just more of like a milestone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's just, I guess, it's, it's honestly just to live a life of re- without regret. That's kind of the big goal here. Make, make sure my family's happy. Yeah, yeah. Next one. What's a practical experiment you'd recommend everyone to try this week? Um, start your stupid idea right now. Amazing. Well, I think, you know what, I think that's a perfect way to wrap this thing up and what better um, call to everybody out there like, hey, now's the time to start. Yesterday would be better, but you have today. Um, use it. Take a step. <laughs> let me let me let me add one thing because you're talking about yeah. just real quick on perfectionism. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that proliferation makes perfect hmm. better than perfectionism. So if someone has the feeling that they need to be perfect and they're a perfectionist, whatever that means to them, yeah, I would encourage them to say that the more they produced would actually move them towards perfectionism or being mm. perfect mm. and perfectionism itself. And people blame perfectionism and workaholism on all kinds of things when in reality – workaholism is a product of perfectionism and workaholism is a product of procrastination. Hmm. People who, who work all day and all night are not doing so productively. It's because they're right. procrastinating the things they want to do most and doing lesser uh, useful tasks. Hmm. So in reality, the most productive people are the ones that can do it by just pra- doing the one thing that it takes to make it happen. And then they have all the time in the world and they look like the laziest people ever when they're the, actually the most productive and happy. Amazing. Well, uh, here's to lazier and happier. <laughs> Good life. Richie, this, is, uh, this has been amazing. And my gosh, there's been so many uh, nuggets of gold in there. Gosh, we appreciate your time. That was, that was really cool. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you guys are Thanks great. So much, that was a man. fun interview. Where's, Thank you so much, Where's guys. the best place for somebody to follow you um, uh, on your journey? I mean, of course, you know, Instagram and all the other things out there like that. But if you go to richynorton.com slash seven, six day challenge, 76 day challenge. That's how long my, my son lived was, was mm-hmm. 76 days. So I create projects around that timeline. So richynorton.com, it'll pop up, LinkedIn, you know, all the places. So I have my own podcast uh, with the Richie Norton show. You're welcome to listen to me there where I interview cool people too, like you guys. And it's a good time. So cool. thank you guys so much. Thanks so much, Richie. A few closing thoughts, guys. First, we're so grateful you took the time to listen today. It really means a lot to us to be able to share our journey with you. Second, if you got any value or inspiration from this episode, please take a minute to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Lastly, remember, your story matters. So go for it today and live the outbound life.